Hello, and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Brath. Right off the top, I want to say a big thank you to everybody that tuned in and asked questions this past Friday on Instagram when I do my Instagram questions on Friday afternoons. They usually take place around noon. Between noon and one is when I start them, and then I just kind of answer questions usually into the late afternoon. Uh, the only thing is, because it is Instagram and Instagram stories, you can only basically put a hundred little mini stories or clippets into Instagram before it starts deleting ones from the beginning. I found this out a couple months ago when I had a ton of questions come in and I just kept answering them and then I realized that what happened to the rest of them. So uh, because of that, I do have to cap it at a hundred. Um, so get those questions in early, ask them often. And if there's something that you're not really sure about, remember you can always uh, use the old DM system on Instagram. I might not necessarily answer right away, but I do my best to answer every question that I possibly can. And if you're looking for where that is and how to find me, that is rdsbrath on Instagram. I also happen to use the same handle as well on Twitter. And if you want to follow the show specifically, it's onspecwrx on Instagram as well. Now, to start the show, what I'm going to do is a little bit of a tour rundown. Now, I don't normally do this, but there's some storytelling that goes along with this uh, this week's tournament on the PGA Tour, and it's going to lead into one of the questions that I had from Instagram this week. And it's not so much a club-building question, but it's something about, uh, let's call it personal perspective when it comes to golf. Uh, not that mine is particularly unusual, but it has to do with finding some creativity if things aren't quite going your way. Uh, so we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's do the tour rundown. And then we'll also answer some more questions as well relating to the question and answer from that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure along the way we're going to hit some tangents too. So, you know, first off, Victor Hovland won on the PGA Tour and Angela Stanford won on the LPGA Tour. Uh, Angela won at the uh, Volunteers of America championship and victor won in mexico now what's very interesting about uh, victor's win specifically is the fact that he has broken the puerto rico curse now if you're not familiar with what that is um, it's something that a lot of people kind of joke about if you pay attention to golf social media or just golf uh, media in general uh, it's always kind of a funny thing that tends to go around on Twitter when some certain players are around the lead. And uh, one of the most notorious players that has been stricken by this curse is Tony Finau, who has one win on the PGA Tour. He's always up there. He always seems to be in contention, but uh, doesn't quite close the deal. And it's almost like the, the Cubbies curse, right? Everyone knew that, you know, they would play really well and just for some reason they would just never win it. And Victor, last hole, pumps a drive, hits a pitching wedge. Uh, makes that putt on the last hole, wins the event, and he breaks the curse. Now, again, this is going to be very interesting heading into next year. I know this is just one of those silly things, but what does this mean now for Tony Fina now that the curse has been swept away? I guess we're it's only here to find out going into 2021. Uh, now for Angela, it was a special win because uh, I know from some of the stuff that I had seen and watching the highlights, that uh, this was the first time she'd actually won with her parents there, which I know is, you know, you'd find it, you'd think that it would happen more often, but it hasn't, and it was a pretty emotional win for her as well. Um, but this leads to, when it comes to Victor, slump busting. And, you know, 
I have definitely gone through my fair share of slumps when it comes to golf. Have it be my game, my attitude towards the game, a, a particular part. Have it be uh, putting, uh, short game, driving, irons, whatever it happens to be as part of just you know going out there and trying to have some fun where I've struggled or just been a complete rut. And sometimes I find um, in the middle of the summer, if I've been playing at least a fair amount, um, there'll be times when I just like, like oh, I don't want to play. It's too hot out. You know, and of course, we're going to get to January now and I'm going to be itching to play. Um, so I, I, that, that usually doesn't last too long. But when I'm really struggling with my game, and this was the question is, what is your opinion when uh, your game struggles? What, what is there something that you do? Do you change equipment? Do you do you think of games to play within within the game to try and uh, compartmentalize uh, maybe a couple uh, holes on the golf course? So like you know, put three holes together, try and make uh, just shoot even par on those three holes, and then go to the next one. Um, for me, it's actually way simpler than that um, because as I've talked about many times on the show, I love playing what uh, a lot of people call less than fourteen or minimalist golf. And that is just taking as few clubs as possible and going out and, you know, just playing around a golf. Have it be nine holes, 18 holes, however many holes you want to play, play from different tees. It doesn't matter. And I think this is one of those things where people get really caught up, um, especially, I don't want to say serious players, but I want to say people that are competitive or maybe have a concern for their handicap all the time because, They'll think to themselves, well, if I play from a different set of tees and I go to put in put my score in, then it's going to mess up my my handicap or anything like that. And the thing is, I don't really keep a handicap. I I, I think I have one if I like reference my um, uh, what's it Arcos. I could have like a, a a rough handicap of what it would be. And if I entered my scores into like a handicap calculator, I could have one. But it's not something that I generally keep. I don't really care. I don't play in competitive events. And because of that, it might be that I just have this different approach. And, you know, there are times where I go out and I will bring the full 14 clubs. Everything is there. Uh, it's all the clubs with, like, the sensors to, to you know, check and count my putting and, and do all that stuff when I'm out there. Um, and it's not that it's tedious. It's totally fine. That's the beautiful thing about the technology is it's very easy. But uh, like I said, you know, when you want to go out and play or a certain part of your game is struggling, which I find out very quickly if I'm using this thing, um, what I do is I just try and completely go as few things as possible. I'm talking no range finder. I'm talking six clubs. Someone actually kind of joked with me. They're like, yeah, you bring six clubs and a six pack and that'll like sort most things out in your golf game. And yes, that's one way to have a lot of fun. Um, But for me, it's about creating uh, creativity and that's where I think a lot of people sometimes struggle with playing the game and playing to a score all the time and I I feel like I get frustrated when I'm out on the golf course and let's say perfect example uh, one of my last rounds of the year it was a beautiful day in November it was probably like I don't know what's 55 degrees Uh, it was a day that would be perfect to play golf and I knew because of the weather and because of the, it was a it was a weekend that it was not going to be a very quick round of golf. Let's just put it that way. Let's put it very very nicely. And what happens is, and what I see a lot of times, is players are out there and 
um, regardless of skill. I don't want to pin this on anybody, but the, the idea of I have to hole out, I have to hole out. Um, it's a very North American thing. And I think it, uh, for me, it's like extremely frustrating. Cause let me tell you, if I'm all over the place, I will just pick up and go to the next hole and give myself the, what is it? Equitable stroke control. That is a handicap thing, but I don't keep a handicap. So I say, you know what? I've had enough of this hole. That was great. We'll chuck it down to like a, a big old X or whatever it happens to be on the scorecard. It doesn't happen too often, but it does happen. And I'll just pick up and move on. Especially if it's a pace of play thing, then I'm not going to sit there and hack around or look for a golf ball. I don't really care that much. Uh, so with that in mind, when I see people do this and it's holding up the golf, it can become very frustrating. And a lot of times it ends up happening is people are playing from the wrong tees, which don't get me started. That's a whole nother thing. I don't even, yeah, that, that's a whole nother show. So that's a tangent. I'm actually not going to go down at the moment. And when I say that, I mean, playing too far back. I'm not saying too far forward. Uh, it was a quote. I think I said it on the show before. Uh, I heard it on, um, one of the no laying up like videos that they did and they heard it from a caddy in Scotland. It's like, why don't we play these tees? And they're more of like the forward tees. And if we're having too much fun and we're making too many birdies, then we'll move back. It's like, well, yeah, that's the whole point, right? It's the whole point is to go out and have fun. And, um, you know, there's no course records that are going to be broken by most players when they go out. So just go out and t- take the time to enjoy yourself. And people are putting themselves and like, because of this, I get in a bad mood. So without, you know, trying to describe it too, too much, it's like, it just feels like you're out there and it's just monotonous, right? You're, you go up and you're, you're doing things, you check and then you're just waiting, right? So what I like to do is, again, try and put myself in their shoes. Again, this is, this is not necessarily so much slump busting, but it's the idea of getting out of your own headspace and just trying to figure out, okay, it's a beautiful day. I'm outside. I'm playing golf. I'm, I'm with people I want to play golf with. What, like, what is the issue? right? There's a lot of worse things to be going on. So that's one part of it, right? Because you can, people can get whiny on the golf course. Uh, I'm totally guilty of it, but I just try and like stop and take a moment and think to myself, okay, you know, you're, you're on the golf course. There's a lot of other worse things you could be doing right now. So just enjoy the moment. Be zen. Not that that's something that I am able to necessarily do, but it's kind of, maybe it's a bit of a mindset, right? But when your game is struggling, yes, I will change putters. Let's start. Let's go short game to long game and just talk about the game in general. Um, when it comes to my punting and it sucks, I switch putters all the time. I've got a nice little stash of some new ones and some old stuff and some funky looking stuff. And usually I'll just go to like a bullseye because if there's something that's going wrong, a bullseye or a very unforgiving putter is going to tell me right away. And if you're not hitting the speed properly, you're not, if you're not hitting lines, that's a, that's a reading of the green thing. But if you're not um, making good contact and you're not putting good speed on the ball or good roll, or you're not creating good mechanics, using a less forgiving putter is certainly going to help with that. And you can buy those old pulls eyes for like, I don't know, 10, 20 bucks online anywhere. You can probably find them in used bins all over the place. So if you're using a big like or a larger style, more forgiving putter, and you don't want to go and buy all these training aids or anything like that, just go buy a $20 crappy bullseye putter that's beat up and nicked and put a grip on it. Maybe not put a grip on it. Maybe just clean the darn grip that's on it and go out and hit some putts. Because let me tell you, you're going to learn a lot about your putting stroke that way. Now, as far as the short game, a lot of people struggle because they're trying to use the wedge that like they think they need to use versus the one that they probably should. Uh, this is something that I discovered years ago, and it certainly helped me with my short game. Um, and this is a question that I get all the time, actually, is like, how do you gap your wedges? And for me, the lo- the highest lofted wedge that I carry is a 58. 
used to be a 60 at one point for a very short period of time. It was a 62. I used a 60 a lot when I played a lot and I practiced a lot. And to describe my short game practice now, it would be considered non-existent mostly. So because of that, I decided to slowly simplify my game. And I can fully admit the fact that I had what I would easily describe as um, short game yips or not chipping yips but more of like a like pitch shot just like this one like the open face kind of almost like a flop shot used to be really really good at it um at least for like my skill level i was not phil mickelson but i felt very confident hitting that shot a lot of times and for some reason something happened in my brain and i couldn't do it anymore and I struggled immensely to continue to try and do it or try and figure it out. And I'd leave balls at my feet. Um, I would shank them. Not on the, Leaving the ball at my feet or going under it was like usually what was happening. Or I would come in so f- and I'd, uh, steep or I'd just come so far behind the ball. I'd hit way fat. And again, it would go three or four uh, feet. wouldn't go anywhere. And I'm sitting there with another stroke. I just walk up and try and hit the shot again. So what I did was I just started playing with one wedge. I took the other clubs out of my bag and I just went strictly with the 50 degree. And what it did was it taught me, or a gap weight, so 50 or 52, whatever it happens to be. Now, this is this is my own personal experience, right? You can go out and try and figure this out on your own. But from my own like problem solving, I started using a wedge with less loft on it. And it forced me to hit bump and runs. And it forced me to change my delivery. And as I felt way more confident in that and then starting to hit maybe slightly more open face shots with this with wedge that had less loft on it, then I could move to something that had more loft on it. And eventually, after a little bit, I got back to putting a 58 in the bag. I, I didn't keep the 60. I went back to a 50, a 54, and a 58. Sometimes it's like a 49. Kind of The wedges, the lofts can get a little mixy-matchy. But anyways... When the short game sucks, I take the wedges out and I simplify. Does it mean that if I short side myself, I can, you know, go for that hero flop shot? You can try. I mean, it's a great way to work on your short game, but it also can really eliminate the decision-making process that's going to put you into more trouble. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with when they think they have to hit shots, they have to try and hit shots. And all of a sudden it's like, why did I, you've, we've all said it. Why did I try and get cute with it? Why did I try and get fancy with that? Why didn't I just hit it there and at least take my medicine? And I think we hear that from pros all the time is um, the idea of, you know, yes, it's okay to make bogeys. Double bogeys are going to really hurt you in tournament golf when you're talking about professionals. But, you know, you can make a few bogeys and you're going to be okay. It's because they make a lot of birdies anyways. But it it helps with keeping um, those big numbers down because you hear from a lot of players too, oh, I had like one or two blow up holes and it totally messed my score. And again, I'm not advocating for keeping score all the time, but it's one way to rethink it. Now, iron play. And this is a big one. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And it is when my iron play sucks and I'm playing all my clubs and I'm sitting there and I'm really confused or trying to figure this out. Generally, I go back to fewer golf clubs. I really do simplify throughout the bag because now instead of trying to think okay well i'm in between i could hit this i could and it creates indecision well the fewer clubs you have the less indecision you're going to have because you know as you're walking up to your golf ball and you know you see the say the the 150 marker right and you know you got you can eyeball and you say okay it's probably 140 well you say the short club's going to be too short i can't get it there well you know it's going to be this one 
club. And if it's really windy, then you got to go to the next club up or whatever it happens to be. But it's really quick and it allows you to be decisive in your decision-making. So you can say, okay, I'm going to use this club. I'm going to swing it at my normal tempo. I don't need to get anything extra out of it. Or if you, uh, you know, maybe you have a back pin and you're a little shorter, then, okay, I'm going to hit something that's a little softer to take the spin off, have it sit there. And again, the simplification can really put your focus back on what you need to do to execute the shot than thinking about your swing or thinking about a position or thinking about something else that is really affecting your golf game. And for me, that's why I love playing with a half set because it just, it makes pace of play so much quicker. Uh, when I do that, I don't always have a, um, a range finder with me. I do um, almost always carry one, but when I am out there and I do want to play quick and, you know, especially if it's a course you played a lot. Like if you have your regular course that you go to all the time, you you can pull it out maybe on a par three or you're kind of curious, but at the end of the day, you know that, okay, I'm going to hit to this. I can see the pin. It's probably going to be this golf club barring like standard weather conditions. And it just makes it so much easier to be quick. And when you're quick, and this is one of the other things too, if you've watched Dustin Johnson at the Masters, uh, he was unbelievable. He played so unbelievably quick that a lot of times, you know, the joke was the cameraman didn't have time to set up. And for me, the quicker you play, the less bad thoughts can get into your little noggin, specifically my noggin, and start making me think of the bad things that I want to do. I just walk up, boom, hit the shot. And how many people have gone out there and said, you know, uh, I played really quick today. It was early. I had somewhere to go. I played nine holes. Next thing you know, I looked up and I, I shot one of my best nine holes in a really long time. It's like, yeah, because you weren't thinking about it. You just knew that, okay, I want to get up. I want to hit the shot. I want to get to the next shot. And, well, yeah, you've simplified. And that, for a lot of people, gets you out of the the monotony of walking up, checking your yardage, figuring out what club you're going to play, throwing the grass up, doing all this. Uh, Play instinctively is probably the best way to describe it. I think for a lot of people, when you go to less clubs, it really helps with that. And if you are really, really struggling – this is where it can be very useful to go to a, not necessarily a fitting, but go through the gapping process with a fitter. So you get some information on your on your numbers. You get some information on your delivery as far as what's going on in your golf swing. And again, this is not a lesson. This is just understanding the dynamics of what's going on. And from there, you know, maybe some some club tweaking, have it be loft tweaking, why loft tweaking. You're, you're going to approach your next round of golf a lot more confidently when you have that information, which I also think is very important because when you have that confidence, it's an immediate switch. I don't know if you heard that. I snapped my fingers. Let's try it again. There we are. So, uh, and I've seen it with, with players with their wedges. I've seen it with, especially with players and their putting. People come in, they say they're struggling with their putting. Um, it's either not a strong part of their game, or they've just had a, a recent string of just what they felt is very bad rounds of putting. They get onto something like a Quintic, or they just have their stroke looked at. And the next thing you know, you just have someone say, no, you're actually, you're, you're putting really well. Maybe, maybe it's your alignment over the ball. Maybe it's a posture thing. The putter you have actually fits very well. Why don't we change the grip? Are you comfortable with this grip? Boom. You know, a $20 putter grip change. And, you know, depending on what, what you're looking for when you go to talk to somebody else or talk to a friend or talk to a pro or go to a fitting and get on something like, Quintic, which would be a fitting process, so that'd be a little bit more money, but you're going to have that information. And 
uh, a lot of people say like, well, does it clutter your mind? And I actually think it's more reassuring than anything else because if you have something that's already fit or generally works well and you struggle with it, a little tweak or a little bit of understanding can really set things straight. As far as full swing and driver, again, speaking from personal experience when it comes to slump busting, I can specifically remember a time, uh, I want to say f- maybe six, seven years ago now, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, I was a decent player. It's probably around like, I don't want to say scratch, but like lower single digit. And that's, I kind of hover around there now. And I went out and I was, and I was super struggling with the driver. Um, I don't remember what it was, but I just didn't know where it was going. It was either, it was right or left. And basically it got to the point where I knew that I could hit a slice. Like I'm talking mega slice. I, I could not figure it out. And so because of this, I basically just started aiming left and hitting these like 230 yard cuts that would kind of sometimes most of the time stay in the fairway. And because I was all over the place, there was a, I played with my dad quite a few times during this period. And he would be like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, you, you, you don't know where the golf ball is going. And I said, honestly, if I could just drop the golf ball 250 yards in the middle of the fairway, I would feel so much better about my golf game right now but I don't know where it's going. I literally have no control over the driver. It was just utter fear. Every time I got over, like standing on a tee with this thing, I tried three wood, same issue. Uh, off the deck, didn't really struggle the same amount. I don't know why. Again, this is a mental thing with being like, again, slump busting, we'll call it that. So what did I do? Now the driver's a hard one because you're going to have to hit it a lot. And you can tweak settings on your driver. You can go all through all kinds of things. What I did was, and this is not something that I know everyone can do, but um, first of all, I went used club shopping. Uh, you know, if you follow along, there's a place that's relatively close to where I live now uh, that I've been. I usually go once or twice a year, just go search used bin. So what I did was um, I went to my old, like I, I, at the time I didn't have a lot of gear. But I ended up finding an old persimmon driver, 43 inches, 100 gram steel shaft in it, Um, had a new grip on it. It was was pretty beat up, but I just took it to the range and basically beat the driver yips out. And it didn't happen overnight. And I got to the point where when I went out and played golf, I I just moved up a tee. I used the persimmon driver and it basically one of those things were like, okay, well, if you don't hit in the middle, you're screwed. And you have to hit it square or else it's going to go nowhere. And it really helped me. Is that something that's easy? It's kind of like buying a training aid. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. Um, I think anytime when people talk about yips or trying to really solve a problem in their golf game, it comes down to changing what's going on, changing a pattern, changing a uh, an approach to what's going on. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result, that is the definition of insanity. Am I not correct? So because of that, I went with persimmon. And that's why I still love those old golf clubs now, because especially like the blades and the persimmons, and I can romance about those for as long as you like, uh, but I'm going to avoid that today because there's just something different about it when you, first of all, when you hit one right off the screws, literally, and it just, it, it, it forces you to do something a little bit different and doing that differently helped. So there it is. That is, those are my secrets to slump busting almost any part of your golf game. Um, are they going to work? I'm hoping so. They work for me. Uh, and I've, I mean, I've resorted to a couple of them this year already, especially the half set stuff. 
Um, I definitely took the lob wedge out of the bag for a short period of time this year. Uh, putting was actually very good this year. If I'm going to talk about, if I'm going to condense my entire season, it was actually fairly good. So I'm not, wasn't too concerned with that. Uh, and the driver was good. Driver worked really well this year. Um, and again, I don't, I didn't play a really long golf course. I didn't hit a lot of drivers. My local, I didn't travel to play golf anywhere this year, uh, except like very early in January. And I also, because of just, you know, playing close to home, I basically played the same golf course most of the time this year. And it only required two drivers on the whole golf course, maybe three. If you're like really feeling advantageous or adventurous, I should say. Uh, so because of that, my, it worked fairly well and everything else was just, it was all gravy. Um, so before we get to the rest of the questions to finish off the show, uh, I want to say a shout out to Golf Avenue. Golf Avenue is an online uh, club retailer where you can not only trade your clubs in, but you can browse their huge selection of used clubs and uh, you'll probably find what's going to work in your bag. If you got this like gap, you're looking to find some old stuff to mess around with. If you're looking to get into club building, I always suggest people go there, find old stuff, pull it apart, get sent right to your door. You can load up on a bunch of gear for next to, I don't want to say next to nothing, but you can find a lot of good gear for really good value. And it allows you to tinker if you want to tinker. And if you're looking for something new or newer, you can find it in their huge inventory as well. One of the things I love about Golf Avenue is the fact that they have pictures of everything that you're buying, which I mentioned before. And as I've said, I was a customer long before I was a, uh, here at Golf WRX. And uh, I just, I've always loved that about their service. Now, if you're looking for additional value on your trade-ins, you can go to golfwrx.com slash golfavenue to find all the information on the, the partnership that we have created with them to get extra value on your trade-ins, as well as getting extra value when you're buying clubs from the stuff that you traded in, or if you're just looking to buy gear. So that is golfdirects.com slash golfavenue for all of the information. Okay, now let's answer a few more questions before the end of the show. Uh, one, of the, one of the most interesting ones that I get and that I love answering is about graphite and graphite iron shafts. But before we get to that, I guess that's like that little plug tease, right? Um, one of the most interesting things that I had and questions that I got this week uh, was about irons. And because, you know, if you look at almost any driver on the market that is a even a more value-based product, then you're going to get some type of movable weight or adjustable weight. So from custom fitting, you can figure out either centers of gravity, you have hosel adjustments, and you have just general weight adjustments in the head beyond, you know, tour level or super custom club fitting hot melt, right? And the question was, how come we don't see this with irons? And yes, we've seen like the one club adjustable club that I guess you can still buy to this day. Uh, I've seen a lot of those like silly reviews on YouTube for it. I have never hit one of these things. I think it's a little bit silly. But nonetheless, it does exist, and that is an adjustable iron. Um, I think it was not super stoked. Someone came out with this like crazy adjustable wedge a number of years ago. It was not a very attractive-looking golf club, but it was very interesting from a manufacturing uh, point of view. Uh, so that was another one. But there was an iron that actually had an adjustable center of gravity. Uh, Does anyone know who it was by? I'm going to give you a couple seconds. Uh, you can shout it at your uh, your radio, your MP3 player, whatever MP3 player. I don't know. You're, you're probably listening to this on your phone. Let's be honest here. Uh, or your computer. 
Um, and if you haven't already looked it up yet, or you didn't follow along on Instagram when I tweeted or sorry, not uh, posted a picture of it. Um, it's only I mean, you can follow along RDS Brath on Instagram and Twitter and follow the show at OnSpecWRX. Tommy Armour had an 845. So when they, it was, this would have been, I want to say mid 2000s. So Tommy Armour was kind of still around. Um, 845 brand still had value and it still does. I mean, if you're looking for used clubs, you can find any of the old 845 stuff. It's like one of the number, I think it's the number two selling best iron ever behind the, the Ping I2 and all of its iterations if you combine them together. Um, but Tommy Armour was doing some pretty interesting things. They had, um, there was a, a, a blade that they had done a number of years like before in like the early 2000s, I want to say. Uh, and then there was also uh, some really nice forged cavity backs that they did. Then they kind of got into some funky stuff. And I don't know if it was like an ownership change or what it was, but these irons came out. They're called the 845 VCG for variable center of gravity. And they had a 25 gram weight track in the back of these big cavity back irons. I will be posting a picture of this on Instagram uh, today. So pay attention to OnSpec and my own personal one. I'll probably throw it up on Twitter too. It's so ridiculous. It needs to be shared. Um, I remember, and the only reason I remember these is because I was working big box retail at the time and they were one of the brands that we offered that was more of a value-based product. And, you know, when you think about an iron, you don't generally want to move the center of gravity away from the center of the club face. In fact, designers, especially when it comes to blade irons, have been fighting uh, a center of gravity that is closer to the hosel because of a, like a generic blade style design. They've pretty much eliminated that now. I think when you read, which I mean, I always find it like very silly when you see it now, uh, but it does occur as like you see it in like marketing material for new proxies. We've located the center of gravity directly behind the middle of the club face. Like guys, you've been doing this for years. Like hopefully you've been able to do this for years. You've had CAD, you've had uh, 3D printing, you've got uh, CNC, you've got all this stuff like available to you, you've been doing this for years. Like the last time this occurred would have been like a long, long time ago. So let's just, anyway, okay, I digress. <laughs> but with the Tommy Armour 845 VCGs, and this is not a commercial for them, by the way, I think they were terrible looking. And I, I can't imagine they felt good either. I never hit them. Uh, but if you were someone who happened to hit it a lot on the toe, you know, instead of changing your golf swing, just move that 25 pound slug out towards the toe and it would help with that, right? Or if you're someone who hooked a golf ball, help slow down rotation. And again, from a dynamic standpoint, what they were doing was correct. Was it the right way to do it? I don't think so. But it was interesting nonetheless. And they did it. So when someone asked this, I, I was like, they, they have, oh gosh. And this is the other thing too. Around this time period, most of the information you could find was maybe on a manufacturer's website. There was no such thing as high-res pictures on the internet. And even like the MP33, I, I did a, a piece, um, would have been earlier this year or the end of last year. Um, and I would do like best irons and I was picking out, basically I would scan OEMs where I'd pick a year and go through product models, all those kind of things and pay attention, like doing those. They're a lot of fun. Um, but one of the most popular irons from Mizuno was the MP33. And I'm looking online, you can't find a high-res image of an MP33 unless it's like an eBay listing or, you know, I happen to own one, which I don't. So I had to message my friends at Mizuno and be like, hey guys, like, um, this is going to sound odd, but do you have any high-res images of the MP33? And they were like, 
No, we don't. Like they went through their old files. They just didn't have any because it didn't exist. Like high res images for the internet just did not exist. They had old ad pictures. They had old stuff like that for like print, but they didn't have it. So they actually found like an old two or three iron, took a picture of it, sent it to me. So that was very thankful for that. But a lot of these clubs from like the 2000s and maybe a little bit before, especially the fringe stuff, trying to find pictures of these things is actually very difficult because unless they pop up on eBay or someone happens to find something kind of odd in a garage and posts it or whatever and and labels the picture correctly, because if someone doesn't label the picture correctly and you go to search for it, you're never going to find it anyways, then um, this stuff just disappears into the ether. There's so many clubs um, from like Golfsmith that I loved because I was a big Golfsmith guy back in the day. Um, loved their 600 series irons. They did some other wedges. They did all kinds of really cool stuff that I loved. Even some of their metal woods are actually very interesting. Uh, but you can't find images of it unless you can find an old catalog, which I've completely got, like got rid of all of my old catalog stuff. Um, cause it's just, it's very heavy and I don't need them for specs anymore. This was kind of like a waste of space and paper. So I recycled all that stuff years and years ago. But now when I go to look for it, I'm like, I have no images of any of these things. And when I went to go find this 845 VCG, I found a couple pictures. I will post them. And that was, I think, maybe the first, probably not if you look back through club technology, but the first modern iron that actually had an adjustable center of gravity. Uh, I never hit them. They were really ugly, but they did exist. And I know Adams did the hybrid a number of years ago. That was the one of their last ones, the red. So you could put the weight in the heel or the toe. And, um, I know from like a lot of player testing, they liked it in, they liked the heavyweight in the middle. They liked it in the heel, but people hated it on the toe. There was something about what it did to this golf club that just didn't work, um, from a field perspective. So I don't know what the heck this VCG felt like, but again, it's out there. If you happen to have one, I'd love to see a picture of it. If you ever played them, please, you know, reach out on Twitter or Instagram and let me know. And I did this last week. I got a couple people reach out to me. So I'm going to do this again. If you have a question or a comment about the show, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, period, Barath, B-A-R-A-T-H, at golfwrx.com is my email. Please ask questions. I will reply to you as fast as I possibly can. And uh, to those who asked questions last week, thank you very much. Hopefully I was helpful in, you know, delivering what you were looking for. Um, So now to the last question of the day, graphite iron shafts. Now, a lot of people are looking for them generally because they want to go lighter. But for some people, let's say that let's call them faster players or players that really fit into a category like myself. I swing a six iron, I don't know, let's say maybe 90 miles an hour. I don't know. I haven't been on a monitor in a while. I do have the garage set up. I don't get it out every time. Maybe call it laziness, but I just kind of work on some things in my golf swing. And to be honest, I just do it so I'm out there swinging, hitting shots. Is that completely wasteful? Maybe it is. I don't know. But anyways... It's what I do and I enjoy it. So let's say my six iron speed was anywhere from 88 to 90 miles an hour. Um, And so I've always played steel shafts, generally played steel shafts that are between uh, 110 and 120. 120 is kind of like the higher point. I used to play S300s uh, for a short stint. I did play X100s. Uh, I've also played Project X, but I only played up to the 6.0, I think it was, maybe in the 5.5, which is, again, less than 120 grams. But there was a period of time where my wrist was very bad because I broke my wrist playing hockey as a teenager. Uh, Very Canadian story. And so after a while, if I hit a lot of golf balls, it would start to bug me a lot. Uh, And over time, you know, other things started to bug me like my elbow or something like that. So 
Over the years, I've used a number of graphite shafts. And if you're looking for the heavier options, I'm here to deliver what I have found to be some of the best options that I have used, as well as just deliver those options that are in that plus 100 gram category. Because I know it's something that a lot of people ask about. It's a question that comes up all the time on the Golf Direct forums um, for people that do either hit a lot of golf balls or have some type of injury that they're looking to reduce vibration. Um, one of the other options as well, and I did a, I did a review on my uh, YouTube page as well, um, is I also have played this year because a lot of, a lot of people have used Sensacore in the past and you could buy Sensacore inserts at, uh, this would have been years ago now but you used to be able to buy them to put in almost any golf shaft you take them to a club builder they'd install them properly so it didn't affect swing weight and you'd help reduce some of that vibration so the upgrade version of that is the VSS which is in the Elevate and a couple other golf shafts that True Temper offers I use those this year uh, I really like them and I found they were very very helpful um, but Let's do the so that's with steel. If you're looking for something that is like vibration reducing in steel, I know Nippon. A lot of people really like um, the options that they have as well. Uh, there's something about them that feels very smooth. Uh, so just keep that in mind if you are looking for something else. Um, but as far as graphite, these are the ones that I think work for a lot of people. And there are other options too if you're looking for stuff that is lighter, because you know if you're looking to just replace steel, you can go with heavy stuff. But if you're looking to also reduce wear and tear, you can go lighter. And the thing is, uh, steel is homogeneous as a, as a material. Now, there's different versions of it. But you can all, as you go lighter, it's generally going to be a lot softer. Or it's going to be a higher launching profile just because of the nature of the material. You don't get that with graphite. It's way stronger. So you can go lighter and still keep lower launching profiles within a, a specific weight. Um, which is way more lower launching than something like a, or at least a stiffer profile. I don't want to say lower launching, but generally a stiffer profile in like a 90 gram graphite than you would in a 90 gram steel, especially in something sub 90 grams. Um, but when we're talking about those plus 100 grams, I know I've kind of, I felt like I've maybe teased it or I'm just trying, I'm trying to explain everything that I can before I get to the list. Um, one of the ones that I've really, really liked using is the Fujikura Pro Iron Shaft. Now, there's like a tour version that's like 115. Um, what's really cool with that, and I was super impressed when I built a set with these, was that um, they've done something to the balance point of this golf shaft is as you go through and build them, um, it doesn't affect swing weight. So it's swing weight's the same as gra uh, steel, but it's way lighter. Um, well, not necessarily way lighter. It depends on what steel shaft you're coming from. But you get that lighter weight and you get the, the same uh, swing weight which I think a lot it concerns a lot of people when they go to graphite. And of course, across the board, everything else, you get something that is a very stable profile. You get your swing weight and you get something that feels awesome. And it also looks really cool. Also very easy to build with. So that is like my first option. Now, another one as well is uh, rated 100 grams. So this is a little bit lighter, is the Catalyst 100 constant weight. Uh, I use the 6.0. I love that thing. Uh, first of all, it looks awesome and it's very stable. It has a very stable tip because of, uh, I don't, I can't, I don't know. I don't know the, the marketing term for it, but they've done something to really help stabilize the tip. And with that in mind, it's just a very stable profile that again, helps reduce vibration. Anything in graphite is going to do that. Just it's the inherent properties of the material, but that is one of those ones that skews more towards the hundred gram one, but it is an option that is out there. Um, another one too is Akron. Now you're going to have to find these from custom club fitters. 
because of that's that's how they that's their network that's how they that's how you can find their product but they have the tour eye it's a great one it only comes in uh now fuji only comes in the parallel uh catalyst does come in the taper version Acura, uh, they do have a constant weight version, which is a uh, shaft that you can check out. It's really cool. Plus, it offers tipping options, which is really neat. Uh, but the Tour Eye is another one that's really like a great one to test out. Um, the other one, which this is, I don't want to say it's older because it's a bad way to put it, but it's one that I think has been around for a long time and people forget how freaking good it is, is the UST Recoil Prototype. When this first came out, this thing was everywhere. I remember working in custom club building and fitting. Not, I, I mean, I still do. But uh, working in like a higher volume shop, this thing was on fire and it had, you had 125 grams that uh, were like super, super stiff, stiffer than a lot of steel shafts out there, um, but had the uh, vibration dampening, which worked very well. And it, you could also build it slightly lighter for players that maybe needed over length, which could get very heavy in steel um, because of the tip reinforced, just because of the way when you build longer steel like that. And so people forget about how good that shaft is. So it's one out there. Some companies do offer it kind of through their custom department. But a lot of times, especially with the, um, the was it uh, S, the uh, prototype stuff from UST, you have to go through a fitter. And you're going, when you go through a fitter, when you're looking for a lot of stuff, you have to go to fitters because they're not part of custom programs from a lot of OEMs because of the cost that's associated with them to you know, create an upcharge. And because you need someone to install them because sometimes they're tapered or they're parallel. So you're not going to get that same from certain companies just because of the nature of their, the way they build products. So it's just something to keep in mind. Last but not least, the other one is Aerotech. Um, Aerotech um, has a ton of different options. They are beyond popular on the LPGA Tour. They're also very popular on the PGA Tour. There's a number of players that have used them for a long time. And it's one to keep in mind when you are looking. Um, another one as well, I guess I said last but not least, but the MMT from Mitsubishi, uh, that's one that came out and also had a ton of hype on it because of the way it, they had a, a 125 tour X, they had a 115, I believe it is. Uh, you've seen a couple of their shafts, um, in driving irons as well, but that's a really good one that a lot of people ask about. We did some testing at Golf Tour X, um, in the forums there's a there's a really big thread on it there as well which is really neat you can you can get feedback from other players um but the reason so one of the other questions is why don't a lot of companies offer this well first of all a lot of fast players are used to using steel they don't need to use graphite it's a pretty small demographic as far as club building and, and golfers are concerned but they do exist now a lot more players fit into that sub 100 category and that's where you see less steel and you start to see a lot more graphite. But for those players that are looking for that heavyweight graphite, I've basically listed off all the ones that I've, I've liked or I've used or I've built. And if you are in the market, those are by far the best ones I suggest. So I hope you liked the show this week. I know it was a little different, did some tour rundown. I didn't talk all club building. Uh, talked more about just kind of golf in general. Maybe, I don't want to say struggling with the mental part of the game, but just figuring out ways to be a little bit more creative and help you bust any type of slump you might be in. Um, and then we answer questions. And you can always ask questions. I gave my email earlier, but it's ryan.brath at golfdirects.com. On spec WRX is the show's page. And then also, don't forget, rdsbrath on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow along. And as always... Thanks for listening.